Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Alrighty, it is that time of the week where we dig in between the headlines and get all those juicy little nuggets that don't get the coverage they deserve, but we will give it to them because they actually matter. And of course, no one doing it better than our friends over at Blacklocks Reporter, where we find Tom Korski, who is the managing editor. Hello, sir. Hi, Alex. Alrighty, you guys got a, a couple of real doozies here. I, I'm not, I can't say we're shocked or no one should be shocked by this, but... Federal agencies quietly arranging to ship hundreds of thousands of COVID masks to Quebec because despite the fact that all provinces were in desperate need of them, they needed them more. And so the prime minister's office stressing in documents that you guys found, quote, we should be careful about what we say in giving Quebec preferential treatment. <laughs> uh, so let me get this straight. You got all the provinces desperate for these things, and they're going out of their way to make sure that Quebec gets what they need. Yes, because Quebec lives matter. (laughs) The Department of Foreign Affairs, they discovered this was in early days of the pandemic. Everyone recalls, Alex, there was a desperate, absolutely horrific shortage of supplies. And in fact, uh, nurses, uh, Federation of Nurses Unions went on to say that, you know, they had 16 members die. It was absolutely life or death. But the department. They were, they, my, my doctor wore a mask for three weeks. That was the exactly. same mask. That's how bad it was. It was absolutely just desperate. Well, the Department of Foreign Affairs in early innings discovers it has 400,000 masks in a warehouse, three ply on surgical masks. They're good for use. And so the uh, a plan was developed in the prime minister's office to ship these to Quebec and don't tell anyone. All other donations, there were donations from various departments, had their own little stockpiles. And these all went to the public health agency for distribution because apparently there's 10 provinces in Canada and two territories, and they all have doctors and nurses, and none of them were COVID-free. But this was a, this was a sweet deal, and there's reference in internal emails to a discussion between the Prime Minister and Premier Legault of Quebec. But don't tell the other nine, uh, because this was a, a special arrangement. What's interesting is they're aware of the political impact of this, mm-hmm. but no one says, well, that would be wrong. There are 10 provinces. It's, it's based on need, surely. And at the time... Uh, the Premier of Ontario alone, let alone the Premiers of other provinces, said, where? where, where where's all these promised supplies? Why didn't you, you do your job? Quebec lives matter, Alex. Well, I mean, it's as if you think that ethics is their strong point. We're talking about, you know, the Prime Minister's office and a province that, well, never mind. But, you know, I, I'd like, when I read the story, I thought, well, this is really gross, yet I'm not surprised. And, and so this is... Just one of the many, 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 many stories you guys have uncovered about this scramble with pandemic uh, preparedness. They were shortchanged. They were giving preferential treatment to Quebec and then China. And, you know, and here we are. We get the stories dripping out and then it's just met with a shrug. But this is gross. It was also the, the, you know, the takeaway is, and we've seen this over the last year and a half, forget the science. Anytime everyone says, oh, we just follow the science. This was political. Yeah, right. 
Alex, this was run by political aides. These people are not yeah. epidemiologists. They are not sociologists. They are not medical doctors. There are, they are political aides. They were making political decisions, and they ran it. If you wondered who ran the pandemic management, it came right out of the prime minister's office. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course it did. It's uh, This whole thing's been rife with politics, and that's why so many people uh, just don't trust what they are hearing. Um, you know, to your point about the masks, remember all that messaging? Well, we don't need masks. They're dangerous, yada, yada. Well, we didn't have masks, and that's why we were told that by Dr. Tam. Nonetheless, um, let me talk about this. It didn't get a lot of attention last week, but this is one of your stories about Immigration Minister Marco Mendocino's office, apparently rife with all sorts of very unwoke language. But, um, yeah, there was a a report done, the anti-racism employee focus group. So they brought in focus groups to look at his particular department of immigration, which they found to be systematically bigoted, where they talked about incidents where the managers were asked to, quote, uh, pat black employees' hair, uh, referring to sectors of the department where representation of racialized employees is like the ghetto, they made widespread internal references to certain African nations as the dirty 30. I mean, this is the government that talks about diversity being our strength, that goes and takes a knee with Black Lives Reporter, that constantly calls everybody racist who disagrees with them, and yet, hello, and he won't comment on this? This was a shocking report. You know, we read a lot of documents, hundreds of thousands of pages. I was actually shocked by this, Alex. This is exactly that. It's, this is an internal report describing the conduct of managers, executives, within the Department of Immigration of all departments. Not weights and measures, not agriculture. the Department of Immigration, where they describe Africans as dirty, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. They say Mexicans, uh, managers talk about how Mexicans come to Canada to take welfare. Th- these are quotes from their own employees who describe their discomfort with systemic racism in the Department of Immigration that is led by a minister who has given speeches on uh, tolerance and anti uh, bigotry that would make Jesus weep. The words are that mm. beautiful. We asked him twice, you must have something to say on this. Because he said, Mendicinos told the commons, you know, we all have to fight hard, Alex. We all must fight hard against prejudice mm-hmm. in our country. How about opening the door and walking down the hallway and talking to your own executives? It was a shocking report. Do as I say, Tom. Not as I do. That is their whole mantra, again. Everything's a concept. Everything is a concept. (laughs) It really is, you know, but yet they'll play identity politics, and it'll be uh, the conservatives who are called racist, you know, but yet it's the conservatives that didn't do blackface. I mean, uh, never mind. Um, This is also interesting because Bill C-10 and all these censorship bills uh, are going to be resurrected, like Jason from Friday the 13th, now that the election is behind them. Stephen Gibble is going to be very, very busy pushing through um, this Internet uh, bill that would really create a bureaucracy to go after online hate and misinformation and basically censor the opinions they don't like. But they did some polling with Ipsos. And Ipsos finds that 80% of Canadians actually consider online information reliable, and 66% are confident that they can tell when it's not. And yet, Mr. Gibault is going to say, no, we know better than you, so we're going to do this. I think people forgot about this particular issue in the election, but this is what you get when you don't know the issues and we don't talk about them. This is Cabinet's fetish with uh, really censorship of Internet content. This is legal content, by the way. 
We stress this mm. all the time because the government uses, uh, I'm sorry to say, the government uses deliberately misleading terms when they talk about hate speech and misinformation, disinformation. Hate speech is already against the law, has been since 1970. Sure. Uh, child pornography, meth dealers, that's already covered by the criminal code. This is legal content that hurts someone's feelings. There has never been a, an internal polling report that shows that Canadians want this. In fact, <laughs> Gibo's department established they didn't get a single letter in favor of this, and they get a lot of letters. <laughs> They have a full mm. mailbag, Alex. And here is a mm -hmm. survey, indeed, that says Canadians effectively are saying, you know, we're not morons. Uh, we look at the Internet all the, all the time, daily, the majority daily, multiple times a day. Uh, and, yeah, we, we think it's fine. And when, when we spot uh, something that looks a little shaky, uh, I feel, as a typical Canadian, says the average Canadian, I have the brains to tell that. I don't need a mother's little helper, Steve Gibo, the Department of Canadian Heritage, to hold my hand and start blocking websites, which is what Bill C-36 proposes, under the, the guidance of a digital safety commissioner, still one of my favorite job titles of all time, digital safety commissioner, and that would be appointed by Steve Gibo. The sharks are already circling on, on this bill because uh, Gibo and cabinet have said they would bring it back after the election. And all mm. the pro-free speech, anti-censorship people, and these are serious people, Alex, former federal yeah. judges, CRTC commissioners, mm -hmm. you name it, they're waiting for mm -hmm. it. Indeed they are, and um, it's almost as crazy as the Minister of Middle Class, who I've not seen since she was given that appointment. But uh, it, it, bottom line is, it won't be until someone's affected by it that they'll say, oh my God, what happened? And it's like, well, we, we did talk about it. So I guess we'll have to uh, see when this rears its ugly little head and uh, talk about it again then. All right, Tom, can't wait till we talk again Wednesday, because I already know that you guys have lots of stuff you're digging into. So we'll talk then. Thank you kindly, Alex. That is Mr. Tom Korski, managing editor of Blacklocks Reporter. You guys ask me all the time, who was that guy, Tom, who was talking? That is who it is. It's Blacklocks Reporter. It's a subscription-based magazine in Ottawa, but they absolutely deliver every single day. Worth the investment.